We'll get started here this morning. Let's go ahead and read this together. And thankfully, Pastor Jonathan's giving it to us in the King James, the one we all know and love. Uh, familiar. Okay. Um, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. All right. So from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, we started the lesson last week and we'll finish it this week. But what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, doesn't do anything with it? Can faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. If you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And last week we talked about intentions. A lot of people have good intentions. They have, a, they have a desire to do the right things. But something gets in the way of those good things. In other words, you know, it's like they have good motives. They want to do something good, but they tend not to do it. Um, and they just don't have to follow through on it. Okay? And we talked about some examples of that. But when those good intentions are directed to you but don't come to pass, how does that make you feel? Okay? In other words, someone promises you something. It could be even, you know, a, it could be a family member. Sometimes as a parent, you've had to deal with that as a child. You, you've given something, you've promised something to your child, but it wasn't able to have, you know, come to pass because something happened. And unfortunately, a lot of times children don't understand the necessity of changing things because of life circumstances. It's like COVID. It, you know, we have to deal with all kinds of things because of this that we've never had to deal with before. You know, you go, well, well, you know, it's like we Cheryl's sister came down the other day, and, and she was talking. Cheryl said, well, we'll see you Christmas Eve, because we go to their house every Christmas Eve. And we said, I said, yes, Lord willing, we will be there. You know? But the issue, can you promise that? No. In reality, can you promise anything? No, no we can't. And yet there's these expectations. So there's good intentions, but sometimes those good intentions get derailed because of things. Yeah. How can we develop the habit of doing good? And I think it, we talked about intentionality last week. Being intentional about doing the right things. You have to make, doing good is a choice. It's a decision that you make to say, what is it that I'm going to do for others? What is it that I'm going to do that's gonna be a blessing, even though it, it, 
and you know, I'm going to say it, pull the pin, throw the grenade, every week we do something like that, even when others don't appreciate it, or others don't do things and life isn't fair. That's probably one of the greatest challenges in our Christian life, is the idea of fairness. You know, I'm doing this, why aren't they doing that? Look at marriages. I'm doing all of this, why doesn't she or he do that? We, we, we have these things that are in our life that really frustrate us. We do it with, at companies, at jobs. I do this, but they're not doing that. Why can't they you know, do their job? You know, and we, we go through these struggles because we want life to be fair. If I do this, I expect you to do that. And yet, imagine if Jesus, because we're, remember, we're to be like Jesus, if Jesus acted that way. If I do this, I expect you to do that. And, we, and he actually does. He says, well, if you don't do that, then I'm, I'm not doing this. And then you have this attitude that says, you know what, everything's conditional then. Now, is there some conditions with God? Absolutely. Okay? For example, if you don't forgive others, will God forgive you? This is a real challenge. We're not talking about eternal salvation forgiveness. But we are talking about present forgiveness. And the blessings of God in our life. We just read that, so I'll move on. Is Real faith is action-oriented more than what we say. Is faith that is displayed by good works saving faith? No. Is James contradicting Paul? We talked about this last week. No. Saving faith that works is not works that saves. In other words, it's not what we do that gets us to heaven. And I shared last week, I, I loved the church that I was in growing up, but at the same point, I was so frustrated because the, my pastor believed that no one will know until they die if they go to heaven or not. And we debated about that as I talked to you about my Boy Scout and God and Country Pin. And we had this discussion together. And it's like, it's all about doing good. And if you do enough good, then, you, then when you die, God's going to let you into heaven. It's like, no, that's not biblical. But it, but it sure does deal with our, our heart issue of pride, doesn't it? Don't we want to feel like we're earning it? It, it, you know, I've shared this before. There's no greater satisfaction to me. There's, there's just something about doing something and seeing the accomplishment. Even if it's simple, like it, it, yesterday morning I was out and I, you know, Cheryl had been asking me we'd be needing to rake some leaves in the front yard that just, you know, our, our uh, Japanese dogwood finally, the leaves fell and they're just on the ground. It's like, I got to get out there and do this. So I said, I'm going to go out and do this. And there's just something about getting that all done, looking at it, and then going, nice. You ever feel that way? You ever do something? You, it, you could be bake something. You could clean something. You could fix something. And it's just like, nice. <laughs> like, no. Can't do any of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't get your talent for that. You see, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The word justified means to declare righteous. Absolutely. He's absolutely right. Paul's saying a person is justified by faith, not by the works of the law. 
But a person who is justified by faith will do the works of the law. That's the difference. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then what Will shared earlier, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, again, it's this idea that faith will present itself by good works. James shares a real practical illustration. Okay, you meet somebody who doesn't have clothes, enough clothes, or good clothes, or um, they don't have food. What do you do at that point? Now, the danger is, okay, and I, I want to make this really clear. One thing that I really appreciate this year of what we're doing at Thomas Road, it's, it, it's really important to me that we, we've done this, is we provided boxes, not just for our community, but for our people in our church who need help. And this morning, if you weren't in the earlier service, Jonathan said, out front there's a truck and there is 150 baskets. 50 of them were taken in the morning. There's 100 left. If you know somebody that needs a box, get one and go ahead and take it to them. In other words, it's relationship. Sometimes we feel like we need to fix the poverty of the world and things like that. And there is a lot of poverty in our world. There's a lot of poverty in Lynchburg, Virginia. And there's a lot of reasons for that poverty. And you're gonna come across people all over. You go to Walmart, you're gonna see people who have needs. You can't meet everyone's needs, nor should you. But those who you're in relationship with, okay, you should meet. If you know somebody, you're in relation, that's part of the, the gospel, is being the gospel before people. If you have a neighbor that you go, oh, man, they're going through a tough time. They're going through something. You know, it's like that's when a neighbor helps a neighbor, even though that neighbor may have done nothing for you. You can be Jesus to them. Why are you doing this? Because of the love of God. Because Jesus saved me and I, I know that you have a need and I wanted to meet it. Or it, it comes into our life. This is what this is about. It's living it out. Because remember, these are the persecuted church. They're all over the world. And he's writing to these people, these Jews who are displaced because of persecution. And there's poverty around them. There's people who have nothing now because of religious persecution. Okay? And we see, in all honesty... Okay, I, I, I still consider myself young at 58. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that until I'm 89. Okay, then I'll think I'm, I'm getting up there. I would never have guessed that a governor would give a no attendance at church order. Okay, I would never have figured in my lifetime. Now, could I, could, did I think it could happen? Yeah. But did I really think it would happen? No. And is this, uh, it was like the new superintendent, sorry, I, I, this is going to sound political and it has nothing to do with politics. But I was listening to the new superintendent of Bedford County who said, we're locking, you know, we're going to keep this even after the pandemic. It's like, 
Why? Well, it's like, and I'm sure there's all going to be politics in that and everything happening and people. There is a, there is a new idea surfacing. Okay? And what, ends up, what I'm saying is, is that we don't know what our future holds. And imagine being that persecuted church and you don't have anything. And you're around somebody who does. And they say to you, hey, God bless you. Be warm. Take care. I'll, I'll pray for you. And you walk away. Imagine how you would feel. And, and James is trying to address that scenario by saying, okay, if you're that person who goes home and goes, man, I don't know what to eat. It's like a kid who says, I don't know what to play with, but they got a hundred toys. I don't know what to play with. You go home and what do you want for dinner? I don't know. And there's food all over the place. I don't know. I just, I want some diversity in my life. Really? You know, we have so much. Verse 17 is the theme of this entire letter. Faith without works is dead. The question we have to ask ourselves is how alive is our own personal faith? In other words, if you're, if you're in here today and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're saved, you're born again, you're going to heaven, say amen. amen. So then the question of the day is how is that being played out in your personal life? How does that actually live itself out on a daily basis? Yes, you're going to heaven. Hallelujah. What about between now and then? What does that look for us? What does it look for me? And then I, let me tell you something. James is challenging Lou a lot right now. Because, you know, I, I, you, you, do you ever get the, I'm just going to be personal with you. Do you ever get to the attitude of, I'm just tired of fighting the good fight? Not, not my faith. But, you know, you, you go to work every day. You do it, you're doing great things. You know you're doing wonderful things. You're just tired of it all. And you just, you know, uh, all my siblings are, I'm the youngest of the family. All my siblings are retired. My brother retired at 55. No grumbling, Lou. And everything give thanks. You know? And it's, you know, it's like, wouldn't it be nice to, you know, it's like, no. It wouldn't. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. You know, it's, it, there's constant things trying to go through my head and going, what is it that matters? Real faith is more than what we believe. James 2, 18 to 19. Someone read that passage for me. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So in other words, what is it that you believe? What do you believe? Does what you believe matter? Okay? Is what a person believes important? Right? We talked about this a little bit last week. Why? Because what we believe impacts what we do. Okay? So in other words, this attitude in our culture that says, hey, 
let, let people believe whatever they want to believe. It's no big deal. They have the right to believe that. And the answer is, yeah, everyone has a right to believe that. But what if what they believe impacts their eternity? Should we care about what a person believes? Yeah. We can't get apathetic and go, well, hey, you know, they made their bed, lay in it. That's what my parents used to say. You made your bed, and I'll lay in it. The problem is, is that they're laying in a place that's going to end up in destruction. And if we care, we're going to have to fix it. What are the essential beliefs of the Christian faith? I think this is where we left off last week. What are the essential beliefs of the Christian faith? Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. That he is God. He rose on the third day. He's the only way. Jesus is the Son of God. He is Lord. The Bible is God's Word. The Holy Spirit is God and indwells us. Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. It's not just, it doesn't just inspire me when I read it. It doesn't just fill me with goosebumps. It, 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 it's the word of God, as it accurately reproduces the original manuscripts. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me go back to one comment that was made. Okay. Uh, I think, Donna, I think you mentioned that Jesus was the only way, right? And Pastor Jonathan mentioned it this morning. But I want to remind you of this. Because I sat there this morning. And I, I, it was the teacher in me. I wanted to get up and go, I'd love to say this right now. But I'm not, you know. Because <laughs> that is absolutely true. And I've, you've heard me say this before. But as a reminder, every worldview believes their view is exclusive. Everyone. There is not... Another Christianity is the only one gets blamed for being, you know, arrogant and self-righteous and prideful. You believe that Jesus is the only way. How arrogant is that? How bigoted? How can you believe that? No, everyone believes that. An atheist doesn't believe that there is no God, but if you want to believe in it, God's real for you. An atheist believes there is no God, and you're just delusion. Okay? A Buddhist believes in nirvana. He does not believe in heaven. He doesn't believe in a place. They, they believe the middle path is the way to, to nirvana. Along with other things. Muslims do not believe that Christianity and Jesus is God for Christians and that is, you know, Muhammad is the last prophet of Islam and Jesus is just a good prophet for Islam. Muslims. No. They believe Islam is true for every human being. Every world religion believes that. Okay? And yet they're, they're, they get the idea is the delusion comes in when people say, yeah, but everyone's views of eternity is, the, is, is right for them. No religion believes that. It's just what people like to say to make people have a warm hug. You know, group hug. It, it, it feels good, but it's delusional. It doesn't even make sense. Okay? Ultimate planes of reality. That's for science fiction. Okay? Is, the, is belief alone saving faith? Are demons who believe in Jesus saved? 
No. Believing in all the right things doesn't save anyone. Believing in Jesus as the Son of God, believing a lot of facts doesn't save anybody. Okay? What's the missing element then to saving faith? Mark isn't here today, but Mark Brisson made a profound statement that I, I've been dwelling on all week at Men's Group this past Monday. He said, repentance is what brings you to faith. It's at least something along that line. In other words, when you, you won't go by faith and trust Jesus unless you have a repentant heart. Yeah. But then the Bible says uh, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Yeah. So it's all God. It's all God. Absolutely. But repentance is a necessary part of the process. In fact, it, repentance actually, as we will see, actually, what does it say? 2 Corinthians 7.10. Someone read that for me. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What's worldly sorrow? When sorrow someone says worldly sorrow, what is it? It's a sorrow without hope. Okay, it's a it's sorrow without the, hope. The world. So, uh, yeah. I'm sorry I got caught. That's probably the best idea in my mind of this. Worldly sorrow is I'm sorry I got caught or I'm sorry I have to deal with the consequences of this. Okay, that's worldly sorrow. But godly sorrow leads to repentance, a change of mind, which then leads to salvation, which is by faith. So in other words, the person has godly sorrow. I am sorry for my sin. I, and remember, repentance means to change one's mind. That's the literal translation. So and I, uh, for clarity, it depends on repentance is, is dependent upon the person. For people who grew up in the Bible Belt and heard about Jesus and went to church, things like this, they don't have to change their mind typically about who God is. But a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu would definitely have to change their mind about who God is. Okay? If you understand that, that a Muslim believes that all that Jesus has no that God has no equal, he has no son. So they have to repent about who God is. They have to change their mind about who God is before they can really be, be saved. They have to accept by faith that God has a son and there's a Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Okay? That's part of this because you, you, don't, you don't get saved by believing God and, and skip Jesus. Right? Jesus said, I am the way. You can't say, I believe in God, but I don't want Jesus. Right? So godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. So you, you can know about your salvation, but also, not only that, but we change our mind about sin. Okay? Changing my mind about sin, it's no longer about me and what I do. It's what I'm putting my faith and trust in God alone. I'm changing my mind. It's, it's not about me working my way to heaven. It's just, it's just him. And so when that happens, when God then transforms and changes me, it's not just the facts I believe. But that I'm actually sorrowful for my sin and a desire to do what? Good. Good. Do what God wants me to do. I want to, by faith, believe in God. And I want to do the will of my Father. See, that's the difference. You know, as a child... You can figure, you know, I remember as a child trying to figure out a way 
to not get in, get caught. Okay, I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Anybody else like that? You did not want to get caught. All right, so you had to figure out ways to do that. Well, but if I really loved my father, it was wouldn't have been about trying to figure out how not to get caught. It was be about how to do the right things. That's what love is all about. Learning how to, I would obey my parents out of love because I know they love me. Not because I'm going to get something from them at Christmas or my allowance or money or blessings or my phone or all this. It's, no, it's because it's the right thing to do. It's not, I, I'm going to be obedient to my parents because, you know, um, I want something from them. I'm going to be obedient because it's the right thing to do. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't, as a parent, how many of you would have loved that? Anybody would have loved that if they did the right thing because that's exactly what they wanted to do? Wouldn't the father, doesn't the father think the same way? <laughs> doesn't our heavenly father go, Lou, really? If you love me, why are we still talking about this? Right? Real faith is more than what we believe. Luke 3, 8 to 14. Produce for fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors can be, came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He, he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So what's he saying here? So they're coming to him and oh, what, what, what should we do? What's the right thing to do? Just do right. Right? Do right. When they go, you go to work, you, you, you do the right things at work. When you see a need, you meet the need. You know, you, you, these are the things. It's just real, it's real simple, isn't it? Right? Anybody have more than two shirts? <laughs> I have to have a shirt each day for every day of the month. Wouldn't it be awful if you came to church two weeks in a row with the same clothes? Yep. <laughs> Does anybody else mark down what you wear on a Sunday so to make sure that you don't wear the same thing the next Sunday? You know? Yeah. I do the same thing at work. I even, when I go to my closet, I take my shirt off when I come home. I put it in a different section so I make sure that I keep going in a different direction. I haven't worn that one in a while. It's just organized thinking in my mind. Okay? But Lou, that's normal. But that's normal, right? You have to keep things in order. <laughs> exactly. My thing is, don't aren't we blessed? Aren't we blessed? James 2. We won't read this again for time's sake. But obviously, he says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith about deeds is useless? And then he goes into the example of Abraham and Rahab. Now, he says, only a fool believes that works aren't the evidence of one's faith. 
Isn't it foolish to think otherwise? Father Abraham, he believed God and demonstrated it by being willing to offer Isaac as he was commanded. The evidence of his faith in God was his action. Someone read actions. Someone read Genesis 5, 6 and Genesis 22, 12. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him. <coughs> do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me, withheld from me your son, your only son. See, Abraham believed God and was credited of righteousness. But when he was going to offer up Isaac, okay, and it's such an incredible story, and, and, you know, how Abraham in his old life and with Sarah having this son, the miracle baby, and the promise that God made him in this miracle situation because they were beyond the years of having children, and God blessed them. And in the midst of that, he's been asked by God now to give sacrifice his son to God. Which is antithesis of what you would think God would ask him to do. And yet by faith he trusted him. And then he says do not do anything to him now. God's saying this. Now I know. Now God's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. He's omnipresent. He's always he's everywhere. Okay. He already knew what was going to happen. But he's articulating something to Abraham for his benefit. It's not like God was like, oh, oh, wow, this is cool. He was going to really offer his son. This is amazing. Oh, my gosh. I, now I really know. He wasn't shocked by this. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is to Abraham for his benefit and for ours. The scriptures was written for our benefit. Now I know. So in other words, when we do right, God sees our faith. Now I know you believe. Because what you're doing proves what you believe inside. And it's evidence for us. For ourselves. For our own faith to go, yes, I once was lost, but now I find it. I'm blind, but now I see. I know exactly what to do, and I'm actually putting it into practice. And James is saying, yes, that's where it's at. It's not about just what you believe. It's about what you do, and when you do what you believe, it's powerful. He was the friend of God. Salvation is a relationship with God. He talks about that Rahab. Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous. James is showing that our past does not define us. And I wanted to make sure I reiterated that today. See, here's Rahab, who is a prostitute. She was a prostitute when the two spies came to her, but she believed God. She knew, she had heard about it. If you go back to the story, she knew what God was doing. She was, that's her reputation, and yet she believed God and brought them in and protected them and sent them off in a different direction and protected them for the future. And he says, you know, that's exactly what, what, what we're talking about. Rahab, who was a prostitute, believed God and it was counted to her for righteousness. 
She put her faith into action. She had already believed. And it was evidenced by what she did. And God recognized. Who would write that? Who would tell that story? I mean, why would you want to add that one in the Bible? Because it's for all of us who are sinners, just like Rahab. Your past does not define who you are. At least, and, and, and hear me, everybody. Please, don't let someone else's past define them either. In other words, people sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes, though, we see a person sin and we get this arrogant, self-righteous attitude. If you did that, I can't forgive you. If you did that, I can't love you. I can't be in this relationship. Da, 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 da. And at that, no, 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 no. Our past should never define us. It should impact what we do, though, for good. That we then are doing the right things. We're changed. We repent. We're forgiven. And we move on in righteousness. Acts 5.29 says, Peter and the other apostles like we must obey God rather than human beings. She received them. She did it. But you know what? She did it out of obedience to God. We, like Peter, I ought to obey God rather than man. And folks, we may be challenged with that. How will we do the right things? Is civil disobedience ever appropriate? And in the new year, that will be a topic of discussion. Because I think we need to understand what does that actually look like? Not with self-righteousness, not with pride, but with truth. Conclusion then. James 2.26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray. Father, teach us to put our faith into practice. We have read and seen how those that have came before us, the saints of old, put their faith into practice. Give us wisdom, understanding, discernment, and a heart of love to put what we believe into practice every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week.